appreciate it. All right, so how many have that friend that carries around their personal highlight reel with them? And some of it might even be on their phone. Like they've, they've got the recording of their best skate tricks ever from when they were in middle school. Um, or, or maybe they have the, the recording of, of, of their middle school play, you know, when they had the lead role or their high school play. Or you have that friend that before too long, you're going to have a conversation with them. You're going to remember, you're going to know what their SAT score was, what their ACT score was, how, how, how many honors they graduated from with, in high school, how many points they scored in their best basketball game, how many times that they got noticed and recognized. Let's just be honest, how many of us are that person in some way, shape, or form, right? We carry around that highlight reel. And it's, it's normal and I think expected to do that because we live in a culture that's a performance-oriented, perfectionistic culture, don't we? That the more you perform, the better you perform, the better your scoreboard in a sense. It's almost like all of us walk around with a scoreboard over our top of our heads and look at how well I performed. And look at how well I did in this. And look at how well I did in, in this factor. I mean, just think of it. Think of athletics. You guys just had the Super Bowl right down the road, and how many people evaluate all athletes based upon their performance? And they stack them up. There's a scoreboard over their head. Musicians, if you're watching The Voice, American Idol, or you're just looking, they're trash. You know, I mean, that's what you're thinking because we got better talent here at North Central. Uh, and so you just know that. And what do we do? We have that scoreboard that's on. In the workplace, how do we evaluate each other? It's a scoreboard. Our son just texted us and just said, hey, I got the highest raise in my department because of the performance that I did. Now he works down at Best Buy Corporate. And, you know, and there's all these different areas that we live life with a scoreboard over our heads. But what's important to remember, and I think what I want to just get a thought and plan at us today, is that when we bring that scoreboard mentality into our faith, that it does something to us that we're, we should never be involved in. In fact, it, we, it changes us because we've got to remember this. And I'm going to get you just one little thing to remember. That God's pleasure in us is not based on our performance for him. But God's pleasure in us is based on his performance for us. It's about God's performance for us. That's why he's pleased in us. But if we bring this performance-oriented faith into our lives, we have this behavior modification depends on the goal of our discipleship. That the more that I do good things and the more I don't do bad things and the more God will love me, the more God will do things in my life, the more God will work in my heart and he's gonna, I'll have less problems, I'll have better freedom. But true freedom, and as you guys are going into the end of this semester, you need to remember the true freedom in our lives, the true stability in our lives does not come from our performance, but it comes from our identity in Christ. So it's kind of fun being back. Good morning, North Central. How are you guys doing? It's grateful to the, the president, the prez, uh, to be able to invite us back. And there's so many friends that we have uh, here back and, and coming. And I, I just know as, a, as one that this last month as a faculty member, uh, this is the time of month that everybody dreads. And so that most of you are here when he said, how many of you are out of skips? I know there's a lot of you. That's why you're here. They're like, who's this guy on the schedule? And, but that's why you're here. And I'm just glad that you guys are here. And uh, we're excited to be able to, to come back. And we're just grateful. Uh, Pastor Jonathan, who led worship, is the worship pastor at our church in, in Cedar Rapids. And uh, Nate and Christian Rode are here, youth pastors. And, and uh, we're, we're thrilled because God's called us all to this little community called Cedar Rapids, Iowa. <laughs> how many Iowa peeps in the house? So we've got a few. All right, all right. Do you notice how even when it comes to the states we live in, the performance-oriented, the scoreboard goes up, you know? Like if, you, if you're from Minnesota, if you're from the Twin Cities, or if you're from, you know, if the, the bigger the city you are, the more, you know, that scoreboard goes up in a sense. 
But God's called us to Cedar Rapids. I want to tell you just a, a thing about there's this picture where Cedar Rapids is. And um, one of the things that Barna recently did is they did a study of Michigan and the comparative study, they did the whole nation, but of Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, North, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, and, uh, and Iowa. And they looked at the faith in those areas and then and in several categories about how they, people pray, about how people read the Bible, how people believe in Jesus. And each and every one of those categories, over the top 20 metropolitan areas in the Midwest, Cedar Rapids is at the absolute bottom in every one of those categories. God has called us to a place from different parts of the country, from, from Nashville, from Milwaukee, from Minneapolis, to go into a community where we say that God needs to do something powerfully in that community. Sometimes we think the only place that God's going to work is in the, the city or, or other areas. And, and there are people in metropolitan communities all over this nation that need you to be able to fully fulfill what God's called you to do. In fact, you put on a national list and what was really kind of heartbreaking for some people is that, that when they ranked the, entire, the top 100 communities in the United States, Cedar Rapids comes in 97th when it comes to an understanding of the scripture and embracing the Bible. Um, Las Vegas and San Francisco are ahead of us. And a lot of times when we think about where we're supposed to go and what God wants to do within us, we, we think, well, I'm just going to go in Minneapolis where I'm needed. And, and we have to understand that this scoreboard faith sometimes that infects us can limit us from having the impact that God wants on our lives and God wants to use through us. I want to look at a couple passages in Galatians. And so Galatians chapter 3, I'll put the, the scriptures up or you can pull them up on your phone. But Galatians 3, or you can just play games on your phone either. I, I'm totally fine with that. I've been in this chapel long enough. I know how that works. But Galatians chapter 3, you're looking at your homework assignments and work schedules. Galatians 3.23. It says, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. What Paul is talking about here is, is, is he's given us uh, this, this concept that says the goal of the law was to put a boundary around us. That in sense, in, in really in essence, that the goal of the law was to be a performance-oriented metric for us. So it would put a scoreboard above our heads and, and we would be measured on how well we kept the law. And, and the goal was really just to ultimately root evil out of us. That if we knew where we were broken, we would try to not be routed. Like kind of how many of you guys watch the, the, the Final Four and all the games? Any Michigan people in the house? I know, just a couple of Michigan people. And I was really happy they lost. You're, you're welcome. Because um, <laughs> those Michigan fans. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, when you watch the scoreboard and you watch it and you go, oh, man, we, we got we to gotta do something different because we're about to lose. And what the law would do is it would keep us in check and it would keep us bound up so that we wouldn't get routed by evil that we would try to keep within the framework of what God put in, in charge of our lives. And the, what was happening, though, is it would just only be able to hold evil at bay. And, and what's interesting, though, is that Paul uses this term guardian, that there was used as a guardian. And a guardian, the, the Greek term here, the pedagogos, was, was a slave who was assigned to watch over the children in a household. Uh, there would be a slave that would be assigned to watch over the different kids and make sure that the kids get back and forth to school, so to say, in a sense, make sure that they did what they were supposed to do. And this slave was really, in a sense, a harsh taskmaster. 
saying, do what you're supposed to do. Keep in line. Don't get out of line. Do the things that you know you're supposed to do. And if you don't, he would, there would be punishment to make sure that things were, were being handled right. And really, the goal of the guardian was to root evil out of the children. And what's interesting, I think, is, is that root word that we get that word guardian from is actually the same word that we get um, pedagogy or teaching methodology. And so I think it's a perfect analogy that your professors are also guardians of your life, that the goal of a professor is to root evil out of you. That's really what it is. Um, and, and I've read many of your papers over the years, and I know there's a lot of evil that needs to be rooted out of your lives. I know what happens in the dorms. There's plenty of evil that needs to get rooted out of our lives, right? No, I mean, but, but it's that concept that, that we've got to remember, though, even though the goal is to put boundaries around us, even if you perform 98 out of 100, even if you scored a perfect 100 out of 100 on the test that's before you, on the life that's before you, you still cannot produce life. All you can do is meet the minimum standards. You can't produce life. All you can do is keep evil at bay. There's nothing that's within you. There's nothing within the law that can produce life in the people that are called to follow God. And even though we live in a world where we separate people based upon scoreboard, we do. I mean, we just look at things all over our culture. People are separated based upon how well they score. What do they look like? How do they, how do they communicate? How do they hold themselves? How smart are they? How articulate are they? All those different things, and we're, we're, we're put in the scoreboard and put in categories. What Paul is reminding us here is that this does not translate into our spiritual lives. That that concept does not translate to what Jesus has done on the cross for us. That we all have equal standing in Christ. That ultimately, like I mentioned before, God's pleasure in us is ultimately based upon his performance for us. That's why he loves us. That's why he cares for us. Now, to give us a picture of how to understand this, Paul gives three different groups of people. And now, these are three different groups of people that we don't translate real well into our culture today. But he talks about slaves, and he talks about children, and he talks about an heir. And I think it's important that we just look at those real quick and understand the difference of, of what those three bring to the table. Because in scriptural terms, when they talk about slave, slavery was very different from the really based dehumanizing concept of slavery that happened in the last couple hundred years. It was a different economic structure back in this day. Back in the day, they were, they were, the economic structure was based upon a household. And so we think of a lot of times of a home, well, you, go to, you come home and you go to work. And you come home to your family or you, you're single, you live by yourself, and then you go to work. Well, back in the ancient Near East, we've got to remember, households were the primary place for work also. That, that families came together. It was, it was a massive gathering of people to have food production and clothing production and to be able to do all the work necessary to make sure that life happened. And so homes weren't small. But if you were belonged to a family and your family had economic problems and you couldn't make it, you couldn't hold on to all the things that you had, um, what would take place is a lot of times you would leave that family or maybe the family fell apart and you would make an economic agreement in a sense you would become a slave to another family. And this arrangement was, it was in a such a way that I would do the work and I would have covering and I would have a house and I would have provision in, as long as I kept up my work end of the bargain. I worked well enough. Now, I never got the blessings of the family. I never was included in the family. It was a pure work relationship and it was separated. There were still were slaves. I'm slave. I could only do. And if I don't measure up, I'm out. 
If I don't measure out, I can be kicked out. I got nothing. I got nothing left for me. And so to be able to uh, take, take a place of a slave, it was a really difficult kind of way of living. And they didn't really receive any relationship from the family. But children, on the other hand, children, when, when they were little, in some ways shared a lot of, in common with the slaves. They would have a guardian placed over them. They would learn minimal tasks. And they, they had to do certain things within the household to help the family and to help the economic system. But one of the things that was so different from a child versus a slave is the child was loved. The child had blessings of the family. The child had people pour into them and cared for them. And they were noticed when they did something cute or they did something foolish. They were noticed. A slave was only noticed if they did something wrong and they were punished in order to put back into alignment because they weren't part of the family. But children were a part of the family and they, they, were, they were kept and they were encouraged and they were, they were grown. And even if they had a misstep, they weren't cast out. But an heir, an heir would be the oldest son. It would primarily be one son within the household of all the children that were in that household. And there would be one son, it would be the oldest son. And this son would be marked to follow in the father's footsteps. To be able to be the one that replaces the father when the father passes. That when they receive an inheritance, he would receive about two thirds of the inheritance. All the other kids would receive one third split among all of them. And he would, he would be trained. And the way that he would be trained would be different than the other children. The, the heir would have, in a sense, um, usually the father's right-hand person. And in a sense, maybe the paraclete, kind of, a, kind of a concept, where this person would come alongside, might be an uncle or, or a great friend of the father, some other relative. And he would train the heir on how to act like the dad. He, he, would, he would show him, this is what you do in order to watch over this part of the food production. This is what we got to make sure happens so cl every clothing takes place. This is what takes place so we make sure that everybody's got a place to live and shelter and, and that we, this is how we manage our finances. This is how we grow. And he would be given that level of training and that level of, of, of oversight in their lives. Look how Paul continues and he uses this analogy in Galatians chapter four. He says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we're his children, God sent his spirit of the son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God made you his heir. This verse is so powerful. This is one little concept if I can get you to take home today. Because if you can get the concept that Paul's really trying to summarize in this, it changes the way that we look at our lives. That we're not necessarily bound to this scoreboard over our heads all the time, measuring everything that we do. What he's reminding us here is, is saying that you are not a slave. Because when we're a slave, what, we're, what he's saying is you're a slave to sin. You're guarded by a hard taskmaster. Everything that you do, if you do anything wrong, someone's going to correct you. Someone's going to jump on you. Someone's going to say something negative to you. We're going we're to deal with the anxiety of trying to track all of our mistakes. That every mistake we ever made, somebody's keeping record of it. Somebody's showing it to us. Somebody's showing us where we don't measure up here and we don't measure up there. And each of those mistakes limits what we can actually do. We actually can't do much. We have to stay in our lane. Just stay in your lane, stay faithful to what you're supposed to do, and if you do your job, you'll be rewarded. If you don't do your job well, well, then you'll be punished. And so what do we have to do? We have to perform. 
We have to be this little monkey on a string and we have to perform for everybody and, and do things that people notice us and make sure that we, if, if anything happens, we at least will be noticed. Hey, look at me. Look what I can do. Let's post everything. Let me, let me show you how, how great I was in this. Not, this is going to polish my resume here and this is going to be polished here. And, and look at me. Look at how well I do better than everyone else. At, at least when we're a slave, when we have that performance-oriented mentality, what we tend to think is as long as I'm better than other people, I will get promoted. And the same happened in the household in that day. If a slave did better than the others, they could get promoted to a better role, have more authority, have more concepts, but they were still never involved in the family. They still never, no matter how well they performed, they could never be a part of the family. And if we're comparing ourselves to others at all points, it just overwhelms and it reminds us of how the penalty of sin to keep us in our brokenness. But what Paul says is this. He says, Jesus died so that you, could, who were a slave, who were bound by that performance-oriented scoreboard, could be adopted as a child. We hear that so often. We totally miss what that means. To be adopted as a child, because we, we underestimate what adopted means. Uh, we have families in our church that have adopted many children. And, and one of the worst things you can say to a parent who's adopted a child is, well, tell me about their real parent. And I'll tell you, if you ask that to somebody who's adopted a child, they're going to punch you in the throat because they're going to be, I am mom. <laughs> tell me about the real mom. I am mom. <laughs> I am dad. Uh, this, this is my child. Uh, they're, not, they're not a slave. Because otherwise, we're, we're, what you're saying is, if they don't perform well, can I just give them up? If they don't do well, can I just send them back? No, they're in the family. They're loved. They're incorporated. They're going to be fully blessed in every part of what they do. They're fully included, fully loved. In fact, when you're a kid, how much attention do your parents give you? How many of you are already saying too much, right? You know, even at this stage in life, you're like, I just wish my mom wouldn't text me today. Just one day, mom, you know, just, just let me go one day, um, one hour. Anybody have that mom? No, never mind. <laughs> you know? uh, but but that we don't like all the attention, but we have an attention that's upon us. And we help, it reminds us that we have unconditional love holding us and binding us together. But what Paul's saying here is something I think is even more profound than that. Every one of you, and the person sitting next to you, and you included, those are the, that are your, the, the levels of, of just anxiousness as we're hitting the end of the semester. What comes next? What comes after graduation? If I, we have to remember that God has not just made us children, but he's appointed you as an heir. You're an heir. You have been given, not just a part of the family, but you have been empowered and equipped to fulfill the family, to make the kingdom of God great to be able to take the kingdom of God to the next level, to build upon what other people have gone before you and to take the resources of heaven, to take the resources of the kingdom and to be able to use them. If you're just living as, as a slave in a sense, you know, we have this, this guardian that says, stay in your lane, stay in your lane, stay in your lane. But as an heir, you get the paraclete, you get the Holy Spirit whose goal is to come alongside of you and he's gonna whisper things to you and he's saying, you know, and you're gonna say, can I do this? And this paraclete will go, does it further the kingdom of God? Absolutely. Then here's the resources of heaven, use them. Way too many of you are just saying, well, can I do it out of my own benefit? Can I do it out of my own power? And what God wants us to understand is you have the full resources, the storehouse of the kingdom of God at your disposal. All you have to do is look to the Holy Spirit and say, is this something the Father would do? And the Spirit goes, absolutely, let's do it. Let's do it, make it happen. 
And, and as a result, you get this intimate relationship with the Father that's different. And it's, it's, he says we get to call God Abba Father. Now, this is not a childish, oh, Daddy. This is a, hey, Dad. There's a shortcut to the Father's heart that you get as an heir that's different from a little kid. That you're able to be able to say, hey, hey Dad, um, can you help with this? Dad, how do I approach this prospect? And you have an intimacy and a direct line with the Father that, that you cannot be limited in any way, shape, or form. And what he's saying is the full resources of the kingdom are with you, being able to use you. And what's ultimately going to be different between a child and those that are enslaved by the scoreboard as an heir is you're going to be focused on the benefit and the blessing of others. How can, I, how can I build others? How can I build the kingdom? How can I bless other people? How can I give what God has in the fullness of his resources and give it away to other people and let other slaves know that, hey, come here. You can be adopted into this family too. And not only can you be adopted, you can be an heir just like me. And you can have access to everything. You don't just get a third of everything. Like you, we, we get it all. We get it all. So, I don't want to be, I can't do that. I'm, I'm enslaved in a sense to my performance-oriented scoreboard. No, no, no. God is called to help us and to set us free. Look what he says in Romans 8. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when, we, when he adopted you as his own children. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and just, just nudge them and say, man, you've been adopted. You've been adopted, right? And now, what do we call him? We call him Abba Father. Abba Father. For the Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we're his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are what? Say the word. Heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. That last little line is interesting, isn't it? This doesn't exclude us from suffering, but what it does do is it emboldens us in the midst of suffering. Because when I'm suffering, I'm suffering like Jesus did, and I know that I have the ability to bring the kingdom of God into fullness in the midst of the suffering just like Jesus did. That in the midst of the most difficult things in my life, I've got the full up weight of the kingdom of God behind me to bring life, to bring hope, to bring comfort. So here's how I want to wrap this up today. Gang, there's way too many, even today, that you're still living enslaved to that scoreboard. You're going through your day today and you're comparing yourself with other people or you're frustrated with the rules that are upon you and you're frustrated with the rules God has. You're frustrated with the rules the school has, all the different rules and the guidelines and you're being led by this guardian. You're being led by somebody that's just saying, no, keep you in line and, and there's an, you're still being held back and your goal today, and here's my heart for you, it's time to surrender. So we're going and finishing up this semester to say, God, I just really need to surrender. I've been, I'm being held by that scoreboard. And there are others of you, though, that you're, you're living as a child. You love the fact that God loves you. You love worship. You love coming to chapel and saying, God, Spirit of God, will you just pour in me, burn in me, do something through me. But you're still living in a childish faith. You're still living in a faith that just says, well, it's about me. 
And if I don't get my way, I'm just going to throw a little tantrum and I'll, I'll get my way like a child does because I don't have to worry about the household. I don't have to worry about the kingdom. I don't have to worry about God. I just have to worry about me. And as long as I'm taken care of, I'm going to be good. And that childish face, this is a piece I want to encourage you. God is calling you not to just live in an immature, childish face. faith. He's calling you to live as an heir. That each and every one of us today, that what God's calling you to today is to live as an heir, to live with the sake of the kingdom in mind, to know that you are given the power of the spirit, the full resources of the kingdom of God, that your time is spent abiding with the father, seeking out God and going, God, how can you use me in my calling? How can you use me in my career? How can you use me in my class? How can you use me in this moment to further your kingdom, to bring life to those that are around me? Remember when you're in those other areas, you can't bring life, but when you have the spirit of God at present in you, the fullness of God, you can bring life to every situation. But only if we come to that point where we feel like we are living as an heir. The freedom that happens when that scoreboard's removed is remarkable. You'll chase after things that you never thought you could chase after before. God will move you places that you never thought he would move you before. And there'll be times people go, why are you moving there? Why? Because what they're looking at is the scoreboard. They're looking at the scoreboard, but inside you're going, oh, this is what the Spirit of God has said in my heart. The Spirit of God has called me to build his kingdom. And I know that God wants to do not just something for me, but God wants to do something in me in order for him to work through me. That's ultimately what God wants to do. That's when I have confidence. That's when I have freedom. And my faith isn't just small. My faith isn't just focused on me. My faith is looking at the whole it's looking at the people around me. This is, this is when you can have a faith like Beth Moore says. I love this little quote. We'll end with this. She says, faith is not believing in my own unshakable belief. That's a, that's a faith when we live enslaved to the scoreboard and we live like a child. But faith is believing in unshakable God when everything in me trembles and quakes. Because I know that God has given me the fullness of his kingdom. As you go into today, here's, here's my challenge. I want you to look, how are you treating life? How are you approaching what God has for you? It's just a simple thought, but it's not about the scoreboard. Are you letting the scoreboard run and manage everything? Are you saying, God, I need your spirit to come alongside of me and empower me and help me to be part of your solution, to bring life and hope to everything that you have? I want to pray and let's just let God go through us today. So God, we come together today. God, I thank you so much for this amazing group of students. Or they're here today because you've called them. God, not to be enslaved to some sort of performance metric. Not even to just be a little child in the kingdom. But I believe that every person in this room if they could understand the fact, God, that you've called them to be an heir, you've called them to be able to be empowered by the spirit, to use the resources of the kingdom, to multiply life, to multiply hope, that they could look at 